0: You're listening to Forward, a podcast from faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, hosted by Michelle Knight, Josh Gibb, Madison Pierce, and James Arcadi. Forward invites listeners into the mission of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School through conversations with faculty, staff, and guests. Welcome to Forward, a TED's faculty podcast. We are uh, excited for this uh, summer installment of our, uh, of our podcast here. We obviously had a, a season in the spring semester. We touched base with a lot of our colleagues on a, a wide range of, of topics and, and issues. Uh, we're looking forward to a fall season as well. We're going to have our, our regular rotation going on in the fall. We also thought it'd be cool just to do a couple of quick episodes here in the summertime. Check in with the uh, with the hosts and kind of see uh, see what we're up to and and maintain that connectivity with uh, with with one another and uh, with our listeners as well. So I'm James Arcadi. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Here we also have
1: I'm Josh Jip, and good to be here back with you again as well, James. It's uh, it's good to see you. It feels like it's been a long time since yeah. we've checked in with each other what's uh what's life been like for you now that the semester's uh, about a month month and a half been finished what what's life been like at the arcadia household
0: Yeah, I mean, in some sense for me, it felt like the semester never really kind of ended. You know, Mm -hmm. rightfully, I had a lot of students got extensions and everything because of the pandemic, which was fine. That just meant like my grading kind of like kept going further and further and further um, into the summer. So in some ways, I'm not quite sure when the transition ever happened, if it Mm -hmm. has happened from spring to summer. But maybe that's kind of, you know, chronology in the pandemic uh, era anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll we'll update the listeners on one little tidbit here, and I think you can relate this as well. So we did end up getting a dog. Uh, that uh, that that actually happened. We've got a uh, a one year old uh, beagle mix. Congratulations! And, um, yeah, he's uh, he's currently um, making his way into our family. And you yourself have That's done awesome. something similar, is that right?
1: We did. Yeah, we got a uh, uh, golden retriever puppy, eight weeks old. Uh, his name's Buxton. Here, let me let me call him over. Buxton, <laughs> Buxton. Uh, he's sleeping. He sleeps okay. a lot. So sorry. He's he's. Uh, I guess would be about eleven weeks now. So he's been he's been a lot of fun and a lot of work and feels <laughs> like having a baby again in terms of even uh, rearranging some
0: of our sleep habits. Oh, oh yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, our guy is like, I mean, I talk. I feel like I'm talking like a baby. Our guy is like sleeping through the night. He just gets up really early and yeah, we're yeah. trying to encourage him to sleep in a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I, I see my neighbor uh, every morning who works a night shift and then comes in at about 530 and yeah. I'm out, out in our backyard reading and he's like, oh, you're out here. <laughs> like, "Yep, yeah, the
0: dog. Yeah, the dog. Yeah yeah I, that is kind of a fun i mean it's speaking you know, like kind of that social aspect of things I, yeah. I it's been kind of like taking the dog on walks and like all mm-hmm. of a sudden like you know there are dog people all over the place that i didn't really know about yeah. and you know taking the dog out and walks and getting to chat with neighbors and that sort of thing and yeah, i mean that's totally. kind of cool i didn't, no, didn't totally. anticipate that yeah yeah
1: yeah it's definitely happened for us too Yeah, you know, everybody wants to put pet the little puppy
0: yeah yeah, for sure. But it's been a fair amount of work. I think I'm still on the edge of, like, if the work is worth it for, like, what the dog actually gives to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, know my, yet.
1: My, my wife was sharing with me some, those, some of these studies that talked about talk about kids and the role that dogs have in terms of just their own development psychologically, emotionally, and so forth. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't fully confirm that or not. But I had a dog, and I think it... Uh, you know, contributed to the person that you see today. So hopefully Well, that's-
0: I mean, I was having a conversation with the dog the other day where <laughs> I was petting him and I was asking him whether or not he was contributing to my mental well-being and mm-hmm. um, he didn't give a firm answer, but <laughs> we'll see uh, as the experiment goes yeah. on if somehow I become more, uh, you know, better adjusted, or my kids uh, are, are as well. But um, anyway, so that's kind of a little bit what's going on with me, and it sounds like you have as well. How about yourself? Any anything going on the last month or so since we finished up?
1: Yeah, that's the big thing. Um, we're yeah. Uh, uh, yeah we took we took a trip two weeks to go see my family in Iowa. We were on the farm. It was good to have some space to be able to run around and kids see their grandparents but right now we're just trying to get into some sort of summer rhythm and routine um, despite a lot of the normal activities being canceled like swimming pool and day yeah. camps and so forth so fortunately we're still going to be able to do baseball but even that looks a little different coaching with masks on and so forth but yeah um, yeah. But we're, yeah we're getting there we're getting into a routine so it's okay
0: yeah that's cool yeah, yeah we're all making it making it work. Um, Well, you know, we talked about uh, just kind of doing a little check-in right now, especially on some of the things that we are working on or kind of like thinking about. Um, You yourself in the fall are going to be working. um, uh, Well, you'll be at TEDS, but you'll be in a different role uh, Mm -hmm. at TEDS. Maybe you could share a little bit about what that role is going to be. And we can get to talk a bit more about how kind of how you're thinking about that um, for the fall and and the spring as well.
1: Yeah. um, So I applied to be a fellow at the Henry Center. Uh, Henry Center Uh, which, as you said, located at TEDS, funded by, um, at least for the creation project, funded by uh, Templeton, uh, the Templeton Foundation. So I applied to be a resident fellow. Um, The theme has to do with basically uniting the natural order and the moral order, especially as it pertains to questions uh, related to the good. So, um, So yeah, I submitted a proposal to be a fellow working on a project that has to do with Paul ancient philosophy, positive psychology, looking at versions of the good life, and um, I will be on research leave next year, Um, although I'll probably be at the Henry Center. I'll be on campus probably more than I am in a normal academic year. So,
0: Hmm. um,
1: But yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I mean, I would just love to hear a little bit more about this project. So um, I think you kind of just mentioned there, it's sort of like uh, a three-way intersection. Is that right? Mm Kind of Paul, ancient philosophy, and like contemporary... Positive psychology. Yeah. Is that so? How do you sort of, I mean, how you could get into this? How did you get into this sort yeah. of interdisciplinary, you know, conception here right. being a you know New Testament scholar?
1: Yeah. There's a few different ways I feel like I could come at that, but it mostly centers upon um, some dissatisfaction with how Pauline theology is often done, which is usually mm-hmm. um, only under, when New Testament scholars do it, it's almost only done under sort of thematic doctrinal loci Mm. that usually come from systematic theology, which can be illuminating um, and I'm not opposed to it per se. Or sometimes it's just done in terms of books, you know, Romans, Mm. Galatians, the Corinthian correspondence and so forth. But all of those forms, I often think, fail to capture the way in which Paul's theological writings mm. give to us, uh, basically what they are, are um, teachings and discourses into living a particular way of life. And so it, it's hard for anybody to capture that in academic writing or any kind mm-hmm. of writing. Um, but some of the projects started with a dissatisfaction um, dissatisfaction with the way Paul's theology was just... Um, uh, a, a, bit, a bit overly um, formal. So, I want to try to recapture the way in which Paul is a passionate participant in the ancient quests for the meaning of human. Mm-hmm. Y- y- what is the good life? What does it yeah. mean to live life well? Um, and so then, so that, so, can I, yeah, can I just on, no, yeah, the, totally. on the point that yep. yeah, just no, just in mm-hmm. terms
0: of like kind of the framing the projects. If i yep. understand correctly, it's kind of like you know sometimes traditionally we kind of come to Paul theologically with mm-hmm. particular doctrinal loci in mind. Um yep. But you're so, you're sort of asking the question. Well, what, are you asking the question? Well, what if we come to Paul thinking like what's like the practical outflow or like what's the how is he commending a particular vision yep. of the human life? Is mm-hmm. that kind of more what the, the the telos is
1: to some extent? Yeah, I think yeah, okay. I think Paul. Paul can, I'm not against Paul being portrayed as a theologian. He's obviously you know, a theologian that speaks and we writes about God, right? But yeah. um, but I don't think it's best to think of him as a theologian in the sense that we often think that he is sitting down, you know, working through, you know, challenging issues and then penning these missives um, I don't think that's as helpful as thinking of basically he is someone who has been grasped by Christ. Um, Christ has uh, reoriented and now determines uh, the meaning of human existence. And he then is teaching these little communities and churches uh, what it means to value Christ as their supreme good and conformity mm-hmm. to Him as their supreme good, and then what that might look like as it pertains to, yeah, to use the word you used, really practical on-the-ground mm-hmm. kinds of issues, like what does it mean to handle adversity well? You know, what uh, when things don't go my way, uh, what are the appropriate emotions, um, and not just when things don't go my way, but, you know, what how, how do I handle um, suffering and death? Uh, what things should I should I cultivate uh, an inner emotional life, um, or are emotions to be eradicated? Some of these uh, mm. these kinds of mm. questions. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's super fascinating. And and are you seeing this as more in continuity or discontinuity with other sort of philosophers or mm-hmm. yeah, ancient philosophies, either in yeah. Paul's day or prior to Paul?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think in some ways, Paul is really different. Um, You know, just uh, uh, as I'm, you know, uh, trying to articulate what is the supreme good from which Paul's theology flows, like, is there a telos or eudaimonia, as the um, ancient philosophers would call it? And as Paul is positing that, I think primarily as a person, Christ, and, you know, therefore for humanity, knowing him. Um, being conformed to him, related, being related to him, that's really strange and unusual when you compare that hmm. to, say, Epicureans who would posit pleasure or Stoics who would, um, you know, posit the life of reason, rationality, virtue, mm-hmm. Um uh, there's maybe a little more continuity with some Platonist thinkers and so forth, but uh, but there's a way in which uh, he's really different and unusual, and yet there's a way in which he's addressing some of the exact same themes and questions and topics that ancient philosophers were engaging as well. So. hmm yeah. yeah.
0: No. That's that's re- that's really cool. So, you got the 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 biblical scholar component in that you're you're mining Paul and in, in mm-hmm. his letters. You got the kind of ancient philosophical background where you're yeah. showing him as participating in a similar conversation, but doing so in a in, in, in a radically different way to right. some extent. Yeah. But then, what's this like positive psychology piece uh, that you're also trying yeah. to bring into the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know what positive psychology yeah, is really. Sure. I guess if, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm ignorant on that.
1: Yeah, so positive psychology is a movement that started obviously within psychology um, maybe 20, 30 years ago um, by Martin Seligman, sort of the poster child for the origins of the movement. But um, to make a long story short, basically it starts out of saying psychology has treated people uh, uh, basically as illnesses – uh, path they, they deal with pathologies. So when something goes wrong with the human individual, psychology tries to step in and determine what is the illness, how do we diagnose it, and how do we move that person back into uh, a state of health. Positive psychology saying, okay, that can be helpful and useful for some uh, in some instances, but psychology can often more offer more. It can actually contribute to this question, what does it mean to live a good life? How do we build positive, enduring institutions? Um, how do we cultivate um, uh, good work or work relationships? I mean, on and on, all the things that you might think of that uh, pertain to um, uh, living a full, robust, good life. Positive psychology is engaging in empirical data collecting, trying then to determine, you know, what this, um, uh, what are practical strategies for people to live well. Maybe just hmm. two other quick things I'll say about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I'm fascinated that caused me to be really fascinated by it is in so many ways, they're not engaging religion or theology mm. and yeah. in fact are um, often opposed to having a transcendent norm. So, the okay. the natural, yeah. right, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the Henry Center um, theme sort of language. Mm. They, in fact, see that as positive because, because it's, it's sort of a, hey, you can take this, whether you're Christian or Buddhist or atheist or whatever you are, and use these insights in a, uh, a way to improve your life. And, Mm. and I also, I want to sort of look at that and say, is that, is that possible? Can we actually Mm. talk, have, have good conversations about the meaning of life and virtue and morality and, um, emotions when we, uh, don't have any sort of transcendent framework or natural grounding. So that's, that's one other thing. Last thing I'll say, I know we've yeah, yeah. talking a while here. Is um, No, that's cool. It's really prevalent. It is, mm. um, there are, you, it doesn't always go now by the name of positive psychology, okay. but it has um, financial backing that is unbelievable. So if huh. you go and look at some of the most uh, um, well-known, well-received TED Talks, uh, or you go to um, Barnes and Noble and look at you know who are the people that are contributing questions about what it means to um, uh, to get along with our neighbors in a hostile political climate or whatever it is. Often yeah. these are people that are coming out of positive psychology. So hmm. um, so I hope and I think it's you know worth worth engaging um, not only as yeah. a contemporary analog to. Uh, a quest for the good life, but also as something that's um, prevalent in our culture today as well.
0: Yeah, so. totally. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, don't want to push it too hard, but just trying to like understand. So, is the idea to kind of like take Paul and like insert him into the positive psychology sort of framework, or is mm-hmm. it to take Paul as a as a pushback to something similar but yeah. maybe different? Or kind of yep. how do you see? Maybe it's too early to say, but how do you kind of yep. see that intersection point between those two specifically?
1: Yeah, I think in some ways it will be similar to how it works out with Paul and the ancient philosophers. They're right. having, they, all three of them are having a, um, a robust conversation about mm. sort of the same thing, right? Yeah. What does it mean yep. to live well? What is, what is humanity? What does it mean to live a good life? All of them, and, and therefore, right, they, they have similar topics and questions that they're engaged in. Um, but I don't want any one of those, but I think they all have, all three of those have pretty radically different answers, Mm -hmm. uh, and ways of going methodologically sort of going about how they articulate what the good life is. Mm -hmm. So not trying to argue Paul's a proto, you know, positive psychologist, you know, 2000 years beforehand, but that, Mm -hmm. um, here are three, three different, um, three different movements similar conversation different ways of going about it let's try to unpack them and uh i mean i'll say it a little bit flippantly but then you can decide you can choose which version <laughs> of the good life is the best one you know so choose
0: your own adventure choose your own good <laughs> yeah. life is that to some what extent, it is right yeah, yeah. maybe oh, yeah yeah well, that, that's yeah. super fascinating i'm really excited to hear kind of how that uh, you know begins to develop over the next course yeah. of the year and i hope you'll uh you know, continue to, uh, update us on, uh, on, on your research there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Likewise. Um, how about you, James, what have you been working on this summer? I know you've had a couple of projects underway. Do you want to share a little bit with us
0: about one of them? <laughs> Yeah, I suppose one of the, the, the bigger ones that is in its final stages are just about wrapping up right now as I've been editing a, a, a fairly large volume, co-editing a large volume on analytic theology. So okay. this will be the TNT Clark Handbook to Analytic Theology. Wow. that I'm co- co-editing with uh, Dr. J.T. Turner down at Anderson University. Okay. Um, and uh, so it's got, it's got about 38 essays, 39 essays or so, mm. where we try to, um, where each essay is, touches on um, a topic in systematic theology, some of the standard loci in systematic theology, um, but does so from a, an analytic theology perspective. And so, they, uh, each of the essays offer a bit of a summary of the conversation where applicable to that particular mm-hmm. doctrine, and then usually kind of convey a little bit of a constructive um, picture as well on whatever topic it might be. Trinity, cool. incarnation, you know, atonement, those kinds of things as well. So yeah, it's in the final stages. So we're we're still kind of um, polishing off some aspects of that, and that's been a really exciting project.
1: Yeah, that's great. Congratulations, first of all. Um, I'm going to give you a softball, but it's a genuine okay. question. <laughs> sure. Um, just tee it up for you here. What? So what? It? What exactly is analytic theology? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, analytic theology. Great question. <laughs> Million dollar question at times. Um, I tend to have more of kind of like a a, a deflationary account or a simple account. I mean, theology is just talking about God Mm -hmm. and systematic theology is just talking about God on, you know, according to the standard shape that we get from from scripture and the, the standard doctrines we cover, um, mm-hmm. the analytic in analytic theology refers to the analytic philosophical tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think analytic theology is just doing theology, borrowing tools from, borrowing sensibilities of, or being in kind of some kind of conversation with some of the anal- analytic philosophical tradition. Um, and so I kind of like talk about it like uh, sort of an age old conversation between theology and philosophy That's been okay. going on, okay. you know, forever. And yep. if, you know, if you got your Augustine, you got Neoplatonism, you got yep. Aquinas, you got Aristotle, Calvin, you got sort of Renaissance humanism. You know, there's always just been some kind of a dialogue or conversation mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. theology and philosophy. Um, it's just that in the last hundred years or so, theology hasn't typically been conversing with as much analytic philosophy as it had been more like continental or hermeneutical Mm -hmm, philosophy. mm -hmm. Um, And and yet, within the last, I don't call it, 30 years or so, maybe 40 years, um, there's been a bit of an effort, both by philosophers and by theologians, to bring analytic philosophy and theology into a greater formal conversation.
1: Okay, that's helpful. Um, So, did you you go into theology thinking, I'll be, this is kind of the method that I'm going to work with, or how did you... Run across this as sort of your uh, uh, some of the conversations you yourself want to have.
0: Yeah, personally, I mean, um, so I studied a bit of philosophy as an undergrad um, at at Biola University, where where analytic philosophy was just sort of the standard way of doing philosophy. Okay, Um, and then when I came to theology, it was uh, I kind of was reading kind of contemporary theology, and it just didn't quite sound (laughs) the way I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, did some work in like the medievals and scholasticism, which really has a lot of, I think, dovetails with contemporary analytic philosophy. And this was even though before analytic theology, like had a name or anything like that. And so I kind of remember thinking, I just, I'd love to do some theology. It was like in seminary, love to do theology, but I kind of would like to do it you know, like an analytic philosopher, so to speak, or like using okay. that kind of clarity of language, precision of argumentation, uh, and some of the tools in metaphysics and epistemology that I thought was kind of helpful as I looked at scripture, as I looked at the tradition, and as I tried to say something about God. And, you know, thanks be to God in, in, in his providence, uh, there were other people that were thinking similarly, and that mm-hmm. is what kind of end up emerge, emerging as, uh, as analytic theology. Okay.
1: So one more uh, yeah. kind of method question. Do do sure. analytic theologians, well, first of all, would you use that title to re- refer? Uh, or I mean, I not? don't know.
0: I like to think of myself as a systematic theologian because that's okay. a bit more general and yeah. big. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes I, uh, I I borrow from the analytic philosophical tradition or, or what have okay. you. So, so I think so you're already so kind of answering I, my question. Yeah. Because um, you... I was just gonna say, like for me, sometimes yeah. like I don't feel like I have to use analytic theology or yeah. analytic philosophy. You know, uh, I, I wrote an essay earlier this year where I don't think there was any analytic anything about it at all, and uh-huh. I was just trying to like say something about yeah. you know uh, about yeah. the topic at hand.
1: Yeah. So for so in other words, for people like you and others that contribute to and have an appreciation for analytic theology, it's not as though it's the end all be all method. Is that fair to say? It's one. It's one. Um, one study. One kind of like intellectual culture that you inhabit.
0: But yeah, not to I mean, the
1: exclusion of others. Is that fair?
0: I, I think I think our colleague Kevin Van Hooser once talked about it as being one tool in the toolbox, uh-huh. and I think that's kind of a helpful thing. So when okay. I think about what I'm trying to do in theology, I'm trying to say something about God and God's revelation of Himself in the world, and there's a lot of tools that I need to do that. I need to you know do some exegesis. You know, yep. I got to know, know kind of the historical context of Scripture. I might be in conversation with another historical figure. <laughs> (laughs) say a calvin or an aquinas or whomever so i got to know a bit of the history Mm -hmm. and uh, you know another tool might be philosophical analysis or Mm -hmm. attention to particular arguments or even particular metaphysical resources that even non-christians have like thought of or or, or deployed that might be helpful Mm -hmm. for that for that task so so i kind of i like that analogy there it's like it's it's it, it isn't necessarily the only tool in the toolbox but i i think it's a helpful one um for certain purposes
1: yeah, that's great. I, I um, you also wrote a uh, recently had a book come out uh, on the Eucharist, and I and I also saw the table of contents of the edited book, which goes through a lot of different um, major uh, doctrines within the Christian tradition. So yeah. I don't want to make you you don't have to to use Eucharist as your example, but I'd love to see is there a way you could. Uh, articulate how analytic theology can help us understand the Eucharist, or Scripture, or the Trinity, or I, maybe those are big questions. But
0: um, yeah, sure, I, and, and that's yeah. kind of you know one one of our purposes. One of Dr. Turner and my purposes with the volume mm-hmm. was to was to kind of uh, pitch it as like uh, you know if you're if you're doing theology. Um, you're writing on a certain doctrinal topic, and you're just kind of curious, is there something that analytic theology can bring to that topic? So kind of like the the uh, I don't know archetypical reader or audience I kind of had in mind was like, the seminary student, the MDiv student, mm-hmm. or even just like the scholar or, or or whomever who is like, I'm working on a project on on the Eucharist. I'm working on yeah. a project on baptism. I wonder if analytic theologians have said anything about that. Right. And I could, you know, on the Eucharist, I could say, yeah, here here's my essay. You know, yeah. here's a few things that analytic theologians have said or those who do analytic theology or whatever we call them um, have said about the doctrine of the, of the Eucharist. And I mean, then specifically on that, from my own research, um, you know, when you look at the history of the conversation on the Eucharist, yeah, you know, there is a ton of philosophy going on in there, whether you're dealing with like philosophy of language, you know, what, what kind of an is, is it when Jesus says, this is my body, um, mm-hmm. you know, or you're doing metaphysics when you're talking about the locations of bodies or the presence of bodies or the properties yeah. of bodies. Um, you're talking about epistemology at times because we're thinking about how do we understand an utterance like this, especially when it seems a little bit non-standard to say piece of bread is a human body or or what have you. Uh So the tradition has just long, I think, been engaging in philosophically charged or philosophically infused conversations uh, on the Eucharist. Uh And uh, my book, which came out uh, in 2018, and then this essay too, where I get kind of constructive is just trying to, you know, fall in that same tradition, but maybe use some more kind of contemporary philosophical resources to do that same kind of work of of making clear or trying to understand what does Jesus mean when he says, this is my body of a piece of bread. And what do ministers uh, mean when they do the same thing Sunday by Sunday in in church contexts? Yeah. So it's a a little bit of like a, I mean, I guess how I kind of see it, kind of a clarification project. You know, here's Uh kind of a, something that's kind of unclear in scripture, unclear in the tradition it's got a lot of options here. Can we? Can I come in here and help out to kind of clarify a bit what is going on here? What even just what might be going on um, mm-hmm. as particular options for how we can understand this 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 practice? Mm-hmm. What
1: I, I I feel as though there are sometimes uh, as as one who's outside of analytic theology, sometimes there is uh, there, there's uh, strong re- like resistance yeah. to analytic analytic theology more than what maybe I've seen in terms of some other methods or disciplines. I'm curious, is there any maybe uh, myth you about analytic myth. theology you'd like to you know bust or any any maybe um, misperception that you find yourself having to and other ana- analytic theologians have to counter frequently and say that's not actually what we're doing or that's not quite fair.
0: Yeah, yeah, the uh, the ahistorical objection. Okay. So I think oftentimes uh, I hear, uh, and never published, but more just kind of like whispered or tweeted perhaps, maybe even, um, <laughs> you know, something like, well, analytic theologians are ahistorical and they just like take some sentences and start logic chopping them and just kind of like, you know, put it out there and say, there, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. That's a bit of a character, mm-hmm. but that's sometimes kind of how the allegation goes. Um and I think that there have been certainly instances where you do have just like an analytic philosopher who's like, hey, Christians say something kind of weird, like God is three in one. How can we just like logic chop that up or, or, or what mm-hmm, have you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has happened. I think that especially now is more the, the, the minority that does, doesn't happen that often. Okay. And when you look at, I think, a lot of the early and then even present, like people who are engaged in what we would call now analytic theology. They're thoroughly saturated with historical studies. I'm thinking some of my heroes like Eleanor Stump Mm. or Marilyn Marilyn McCord Adams or uh, Richard Cross. I mean, they're just medievalists, even you know, thoroughly saturated in their understanding of a particular time period and engaging in philosophical analysis in the spirit of those same um, those same thinkers. Um, So with with a keen. uh, uh, sense of the historical context, or my friend uh, Tim Paul, who uh, whose book I mentioned in our forward, um, mm-hmm. you know, forward reads sort of thing there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He's doing a lot on a lot of the, the the councils, the ecumenical councils, and their statements on on Christ. And I mean, I think it's just really, really good uh, historical reconstruction of some of the key issues that are going on um, in the time period. He certainly may not be doing a whole book on like the you know, socio-political aspects of things, but in terms sure. of understanding these councils and the statements that came out of them in their historical context, I think is a very sensitive reader yeah. of the history as well. So that's an objection that I think that uh, yeah. is, uh, is done away with if you just do a bit more reading <laughs> of yep. analytic yep. theology. And I think that our volume um, will 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 show that, will demonstrate that, you know, uh, that an accusation like analytic, you know, people do analytic theology are ahistorical, it, that, that's, that's rather unfounded. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's really helpful. Well, it's been fun to catch up with you, James. Totally. Congratulations on the uh, on the project. It's finished now. It sounds like off to the publisher. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean it's off to it's off in the, the publisher's hands right now. I think okay. we I, I think that it's off to the typesetters and that kind of a thing. And okay. so. Hopefully we'll get proofs back later on here this yep. summer. I think we've got a January uh, 2021 release date right now, as okay. it's indicated on the website, uh, the Bloomsbury website. So hopefully we'll be able to stick with that as long as uh, you know COVID cooperates with right, production right. schedules and everything else.
1: Cool, that's great. And then yeah. and then start getting rich.
0: Is that how that goes.
1: Yeah, right. The the royalties, of course. Ah, uh, yes, right.
0: Um, that that's how it works out for me. I mean, it's just you know oh. rolling in cash. Just you know, perfect. That's great. Yeah, I think one of my seminary professors talked about every year uh, with the royalties from his book, he bought a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I have I have one right now where it's like they don't send. Um, it, it has to be fifty dollars or more yeah. for you know for Brill at least to uh, send a check and. Um, for the last few years, I get you know a notice that's like, yeah, we can't send you a check yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> build
0: Building there, still building, yeah, right?
1: <laughs> come on, somebody buy one. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Well, fun to fun to catch up with you, James.
0: Yeah, cool, Josh, and you too as well. Looking forward to hearing more updates on your project and your research sure. uh, as it comes uh, as as it comes forward. If hey, I
1: won't be hard to find. So <laughs>
0: uh, that's great. Yeah, and that's just the forward. We're so grateful that you all were joining with us today in our in our conversation about some of our research and, and writing. Uh, we'll look forward to continuing the conversation um, on uh, on Twitter and Facebook and all those places where we're able to engage with you listeners as we all look forward to our coming season uh, in the fall. So I'm grateful to Josh Shipp for being part of this conversation. We're grateful to uh, Madison, Michelle, our co-hosts, who obviously aren't with us, but are certainly supporting and uh, participating in our activities this summer as well. Uh, we're thankful to Lauren Janusik who is our uh, our assistant uh, with various aspects of things, and to Curtis Pierce, our uh, producer, who is uh, ever-steady at the hand of production and all things that go into uh, this podcast. Thanks very much, everybody. Forward is a podcast hosted by faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. You can subscribe to our newest episodes on your preferred podcast app or at forwardpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Forward Podcast to get updates and additional links to content. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School is located 25 miles north of Chicago, with extension sites across the country and online. Trinity educates men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world by cultivating academic excellence, Christian faithfulness, and lifelong learning. You can find more information at teds.edu.